Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, I feel as though I should point out right away that standing uh, here above this body of water is actually quite disconcerting for me this morning. Uh, it's like, do you ever get that uh, sudden urge in the back of your mind uh, to do something really stupid that you know would be really, really bad, but a part of you is just going, do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> well. That's me right now, and if midway through this message I just throw myself headlong in there, you know the dark side one. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I can't think of many things I enjoy more about church uh, than baptism services. I think part of the reason for that is the danger. Uh, there is something weirdly addictive about watching a bunch of fully clothed people uh, getting plunged underwater by, by someone, and I guess you're just always thinking, you know, are they going to make it out alive? Will there be a struggle? Will they slip on the way in, crack their head? Will they take the pastor down with them, flailing, you know? Um, I, made, I made sure I went back there and uh, shared all these thoughts with the guys before, beforehand just to calm their nerves. Um, baptisms are wonderful opportunities for us as a church family to celebrate God's work changing our lives. And we're going to be thinking about just that today as we continue our series called Grace Shaped Living. So let's begin this morning by turning to God's Word and uh, reading from Titus chapter 3. If you have a Bible, please do turn there now. Titus chapter 3, and we'll read together from verse 1. Paul is writing uh, this letter to Titus, his friend and co-church planter, and he says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for this time now where we have to gather together and to listen to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would accompany the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit and that you would change us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us over the summer, you'll know that we've been going through the book of Titus, thinking about the truth that the grace of God doesn't simply forgive us, grace changes us. It changes our position before God, it makes us his people, and it changes our lifestyle as we live to please him. But you know, I've noticed a little bit like Rick mentioned earlier, that so often we don't talk about grace like that. We've become accustomed in the church in the West to talking about grace as if it's a kind of get-out-of-jail-free card. It's God's free pass to heaven, which allows us to live however we want, safe in the knowledge that everything will be okay in the end. Now, the problem with that is that that is not how the Bible 
talks about grace. That free pass grace just doesn't exist. We've been spending time studying the letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to his friend and co-worker Titus, who was this pastor of a young church on the island of Crete. And Paul tells Titus to set a high bar for the believers there with, their, with regard to their lifestyle. Their leaders were to be blameless in the way that they lived, faithful in their family lives, honorable in all of their relationships. We saw in, in chapter 2 that older men must be dignified, self-controlled, unwavering in their devotion to Jesus. Older women must be respectable, having integrity in everything that they do. And the younger men and the younger women were to learn from and emulate the lifestyle of the older members of the church. And of course, slaves, or in our context, workers were to work hard for their bosses, being honest and respectful in all that they did. Now last week, we thought about why, why, why we should live that way. We saw that rather than allowing us to do what we want, God's grace in the death and resurrection of Jesus both obligates us and motivates us to live like that. Jesus at the cross did not simply show us that he loves us by giving a free pass to heaven. He, he bought us back. He reclaimed the throne of our lives. And so we are obligated to serve him. But, as we also thought about last week, and we recognize that his rule means blessing in our lives. It's for our good. We understood that submitting to his will is good for us, even when that means difficulty, even when it means confessing sin and turning from it, even when it means walking a path of suffering, when Jesus calls us to do that. We, we recognized last week that seeking to live all of life under the rule of Jesus is the pursuit of happiness. Submitting our lives to him is where true joy is found. So this morning, let's talk about how we do that. We've thought about why we should. We are obligated and we are motivated to live that way. But how can we do that? And the first thing we need to recognize this morning is that living God's way is impossible without God. Living God's way is impossible without God. If you know your Old Testament well, uh, you'll be familiar with the story of the people of Israel. And at Mount Sinai, the book of Exodus tells us that God made a covenant with them. He promised to be their king, and they agreed to live under his law and rule. And so we read in Exodus 24, verse 3, it's on the screen behind me, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they were obligated. He, God was their Lord. And they were motivated. They wanted to do it. But did they? What's the answer? No. No, they did not. The Old Testament history of Israel reads like a horror story. As time and time again, they messed up and disobeyed God's word. And although they say sorry, and although they return to God and do well for a little while, eventually the same thing happens again. And rather than getting better and better and better, 
They get worse and worse and worse. They fall farther and farther away from God. You see, something inside them makes it impossible for them to consistently obey God. The Bible calls it sin. It's not our actions primarily that are offensive to God. It's our nature. It's our identity. We do what is inside us. We act according to the state of our hearts. And that's a truth that Paul reiterates for us here in Titus chapter 3. He begins by talking about that high bar lifestyle. And in verse 1, he tells Titus, remind them, that's the members of the church, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So what's his overarching point here? Our relationships should universally be characterized by love. From the greatest to the least, from the president through to the guy who cut you up on the way to church this morning, we are to show perfect, perfect courtesy to all people. We are to love everyone. And this is more than just being nice to people. We can often be experts in nice, but terrible at love. We are, Paul says, to be ready for every good work. People aren't to be viewed as interruptions to our busy day. We're to be like athletes on the starting line, ready to serve others at a moment's notice when the opportunity arises. Our words are only to be loving, even when people are unlovely. Now, if we're honest, so often our schedules are so tight that we just don't have time to uh, respond to people in this way. We justify our bad-mouthing of those in authority uh, by describing it as truth-telling. Well, that's just the way they are. Uh, our lack of courtesy to those we meet is excused by being, as being fair enough in the circumstances. I mean, he, he honked his horn first, right? But Paul describes the human condition there in verse 3 as foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. This is what our hearts were like. All of the stories that we heard this morning were stories of change. And they started with people saying, I was once this way. There's something broken inside of us. This is why Israel constantly messed it up. And this is why we often try and lower the bar. We try and make following Jesus easy. Because we know deep down that our sinful nature makes it impossible to live this way. Now, you know, if we just finished here this morning, if it's true that it's impossible to follow Jesus, then Christians are in for a miserable life. If we believe that we are obligated to serve God, 
And if we love him because of what he's done for us on the cross, and if we want to live to serve him, we're motivated, but we can't because our sinful nature prevents us from doing so, then we're just going to spend all our days feeling guilty and miserable. We'd be grateful for the grace that, that forgives us, but we'd be unable to change. We'd be unable to do anything about it. But here's the great news for us this morning. Here's what these stories testified to as we listen to them. God's grace actually changes us. That's the big point of Titus. God's grace actually changes us. We've spoken about how grace changes our position before God and our motivation to to serve him. But the truth is that we still need power to live that way. And notice how Paul speaks in verse 3. We ourselves were once foolish. Something is different. Our nature has changed. We are not the people that we once were. We're no longer like Israel, unable to live God's way. Baptisms are great because you get to hear people's stories. And they are always stories of change. I gambled in my preparation this week writing that but I but because I didn't I hadn't heard these stories but they were weren't they they were stories of changed lives but sometimes we don't really know why we've changed we just know that we now love Jesus and we're different well Paul actually explains what has happened to us and what we see from verse 4 onwards is that It is all about God. Paul says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. What's he saying? He's saying we didn't fix ourselves. We didn't find the power to change inside of us. And he also says that God didn't come to change us because we were good people. He didn't look at us and think, hey, they're doing some good stuff down there. I I really like that person because of what they're doing. I'm going to come and make their life better. That's not at all why God saved us. God saved us purely because that is the kind of person he is. He loves to show mercy and grace. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. He doesn't punish us for the things that we've done wrong, but he shows us loving kindness. We've already thought last week about what that looked like. Grace, the goodness and loving kindness of God, appeared, and it is most clearly seen in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. And notice the tense there in verse 5. Paul says, He saved us, past perfect. God the Father did not just make our rescue possible. He actually achieved it through the work of his son. So what did he do that changes us, enabling us to live for God? Well, Paul continues in verse 5. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. You know, 
baptisms are weird, aren't they? If we've grown up in church for a while, they, they don't seem particularly weird to us because we're used to them. But you don't get this happening in any other context in the rest of your day. You don't just sit there and work while someone's just kind of being dunked next to you. Baptism is something that is weird. Why do we do this to show that we are part of the people of God? Why don't we just stand up and say, hey, I became a Christian? Why do we have to go through the whole kind of in and out getting wet? You know, it's not because what we do this morning changes anything. Jennifer and Chelsea and Anne are no different now than they were this morning, apart from that they are a little bit damper. No, we do this to show what God has already done for us. Let's let's look at the text again. See the image that Paul is describing here. We are washed by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who God poured out on us richly through Jesus. Do you see what's going on there? God baptized us. That's the image that Paul is using here. We're washed by the person of the Spirit. He's the water poured, on, poured out on us by the Father through the Son. When we trust in Christ, when we are united to him through faith, we get wet. We are baptized, we are filled, we are washed by the Holy Spirit of God. There is a triune baptism that has taken place before the baptism that we saw today. And what that does in us is it creates new life and it empowers new living. Do you guys know uh, the phrase, if you want a job doing well, do it yourself? Do you use that? Yeah, okay, that's, that's good to know. I was, I was worried that that wouldn't translate. Um, that would be something that we say in, in the UK. But if you want a job doing, done well, do it yourself. That, that's what some people say. It's almost like God says, right, you've had your go, you've messed it up, you've proved that you can't save yourself, now it's my turn. The act of baptism is a picture of what God has done for the person being baptized. They have been washed by the Spirit and made alive. That's the meaning of the word regeneration. We are born again. We are recreated. It's the process God uses to fix what is broken inside us, to reset our hearts so that we can serve him free from sin. See, the hero of every baptism is not the person getting dunked under the water. The hero of every baptism is God himself. He is the one who has fixed what is broken and changed those lives. And that regeneration, that washing of God, that newness of life, begins this process of renewal, of change. The Holy Spirit then lives in the Christian, changing us each and every day, moment by moment, empowering us to live for God more and more and more. God's grace, when it is truly received, actually changes us. It is impossible to be a Christian and not be changing. Now, hear me carefully when I said that. I didn't say it's impossible to be a Christian 
and sin. The Bible is very clear. We all sin and we will continue to sin until the day when we die because that process of change will only be complete when we see Jesus face to face. And in that moment, we will be changed, the scripture says, and we will be like him. That will be a glorious day. But until that day, that process of change is taking place. But it is, note this, it is a certainty for all who truly experience grace. That process of change will happen in us if we are washed and are filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Christians are people who have been baptized by God's Spirit because of God's grace, and as a result, we are changing. We are in that process of change. Now, this is the point where we need to ask, so what? Uh, What should we do with what we have thought about this morning? Well, I've just got four simple steps for us to put into practice that will help us to live changed lives. And all of them are based around the central idea that we partner with God in his work of changing us. He's the one who is changing our lives. So we need to partner with him. So here here are the steps. One, know what God wants you to do. Two, ask God to help you. Three, do it. And four, thank God for his help. So let's take those one at a time. First of all, know what God wants you to do. Very simply, listen to him when he speaks to us through his word. Read the Bible carefully. And don't just read it and kind of just broad brush stroke, okay, today I know that God wants me to live my life for him. Be specific. What is God specifically asking you to do? We need to know what God is saying to us so that we know what he wants us to do. And then secondly, when we understand the specifics, how God wants us to change, ask him to help us. So we so quickly jump over this step. We so quickly just jump to step three. Oh, God wants me to live this way. Well, I better go and do it then. Well, that's to totally subvert the whole process. We must ask God to help us pray and ask the Spirit of God to empower our living, empower that change in our lives. Then thirdly, once we've prayed and asked God to help us, go and do it. You know, what have we thought about this morning? It is the triune power of God at work in our lives. It is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead who is at work in all of us this morning. There is no more powerful being in the universe than the one who lives in you and seeks to change you. And yet, so often we think that there are habits in our lives, patterns of behavior, sins that we are ensnared by that we will never be able to change. Well, we've heard this morning that God is in the process, is in the business of changing lives. His power is greater than anything that we think we are unable to overcome, any challenge that we face. So go and do it. Go and live for Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. And as you do so, remember that you're not the hero of your story. Thank God for his help. Make sure that everyone knows that the only reason that you live this way is not because you're great, but because you have been saved and changed 
by a great savior. You know, we can live lives that honor God. It's our calling, the high bar of Christian discipleship. But we can't do it by ourselves. We need God to graciously empower us by his spirit, renewing us as we partner with him in his divine work of changing us. So to close, let me ask you this. What is God doing in your life? What has he been teaching you recently? How is he changing you? Is your life different now than it was at some time in the past? You see, change is the evidence of grace in our lives. God's grace does not simply forgive us. Grace changes us. And so Paul describes believers in verse 7 as heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God is making a people for the world to come. He is changing us from what we are, what we once were, to what we will be. Can I say to you, friends, if you aren't changing, perhaps you don't know him. Perhaps you've never experienced what grace truly is. If there's no evidence of God's changing power at work in your life, that should trouble you this morning. If you still love what you've always loved, if you still do what you've always done, and if you don't know what I mean when I talk about the power of a new and changing life living in you, maybe you haven't met Jesus yet. Maybe you don't know him. If that is you, come and talk to us this morning. We'd love to walk that journey with you and help you meet Jesus for the first time and find joy and hope and life and that power to change. We'd love to speak with you and pray with you about that. Or perhaps you do know Jesus. Perhaps you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, but you haven't really been walking closely with him recently. Your life does not look like the kind of life that he's calling you to. Maybe there's something that he's been pressing upon you, a sin issue in your life that you just have not been willing to let go or you've not ever wanted to change. Perhaps you don't recognize much of the changing power of the Spirit at work in your heart today. Well, again, come and talk to us. Speak to one another. Speak to a mature Christian friend. Have someone pray with you and help you spend time with the Lord. Confess your sin. Say you're sorry. Ask him to help you to change. You know, the amazing thing about grace is that it never changes. We can never wander so far from God that he'll fail to take us back. And you know, the great thing is, if you're feeling far from him this morning and you want to return, you're feeling like that because his spirit is pressing on you right now. You're feeling like that because he loves you. He wants you back. He's saying, return to me. Come back to me. Say you're sorry and watch me change you. Baptism is a wonderful thing. It symbolizes what God has done for us in 
by his grace. God has achieved the impossible. His grace forgives us and changes us. We have been washed by his spirit, remade into a new person, and renewed as we live day by day. So then, let us live like that. Let us actually live like that. Let's not be hearers of the word only, but let us do what the Lord is calling us to this morning. Let us pay close attention to God's word. Let us ask him to help us obey, and let's go and do it. Let us act in the power of his spirit so that he receives glory and we experience the joy of obediently following him and lives being changed by his grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. We thank you that we are able to gather together and hear testimony of lives changed by your grace. And we give you all the glory for the stories that we have heard today. We recognize that you are the one who changes us, Lord. Without you, change is impossible. And we confess before you this morning that so often we don't think that we could ever change. But I thank you today that we have seen evidence in the stories that we've heard of your power at work in your people. Father, we thank you that grace, your grace towards us forgives us and changes us. And so I pray, oh Lord, that you would work more and more in our lives by the washing and regeneration and renewal of your spirit. Change us, O oh God. Come by your spirit now. Breathe into us, your people. Move amongst us. Show us what we must change. Show us where we need to repent and say we're sorry and turn from sin. Assure us, give us confidence of your love for us and the mighty power of your grace that works in our lives to make us new people. Please come and do this in your church, Heavenly Father, for your glory and for our great joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.